0: Hello, 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 and welcome to this last episode of the podcast. Can't believe we already talked through seven episodes now, Talia. That has been quite the journey, and I think we all learned quite a lot. And before we start with the last episode of this podcast, I'm going to quickly recap the previous episode, which I conducted, uh, a conversation with Lilith Raza, who is an activist and advocate for the rights of queer refugees in Germany. And one of the main things that we discussed was the narrative of we are all in the same boat, which was propagated by many governments and particularly the German government to say that everyone was affected equally by the pandemic and everyone therefore should do their part and stay at home. So the government was really urging this collective responsibility. However, as established by Lilith Raza and also in the findings of my research, This does not necessarily apply to marginalized groups like queer refugees because they were not in the same boat to begin with. So there are structural inequalities which marginalized groups face. Yeah, I really enjoyed
1: the last episode. If you haven't listened to it yet, definitely go back. But today we are actually going to continue on the topic of marginalized groups because Max met up with a researcher from Master University who specialized in gender inequality. And we are going to hear about the specific and gendered impact of the pandemic on women. I'm really excited. Are you as well?
0: Me too. Yeah, it sounds like a really good episode to end this podcast with. Let's give it a listen.
1: So in my thesis, I talk about gender inequality and in times of COVID. So basically what I'm doing is... I observe South Africa and the European Union and try to see how ministers, governments, or in the case of the European Union, the Commission, for instance, or the European Parliament, talk about gender inequality or different forms of gender inequality in speeches, like governmental reports. Um, And if they, for example, portray it as like a worst uh, kind of case in times of COVID, than it was before. Um, Yeah, and basically ensuring gender inequality has always been a fundamental value of the European Union and also like a basic principle uh, to ensure that everyone is being treated equally. And my first question would be, in your opinion, how has the role of gender inequality changed in the Global North and the Global South as a result of the pandemic? So what is your opinion on that? And for example, has it become more important than it was before?
2: Mm -hmm. Yeah, Yeah. so we've been, uh, in in the Netherlands, we've been in lockdown for more than a year now. Uh, I think there are clear signs and symptoms that uh, in a situation of crisis, we regress. We regress towards a situation that we were more or less successfully climbing on top of, before the crisis set in, in this case, the pandemic. Um, What you can see in the era that I know is that uh, the submissions of research outputs to academic journals by female academics has gone down. So I think it's too early uh, to talk about output, because academic publishing is a long-winded affair, reviewing takes time, and then journals have a whole reservoir of unpublished manuscripts and then publication takes time. So in that perspective, one year isn't a whole lot. But um, I think there are, uh, it's demonstrably the case already, that the um, submissions by women academics have gone down. But why is that? Well, probably uh, we are dealing with women academics with children, so one could verify that by trying to check up on their age. And apparently uh, the emotional and also the practical day-to-day care for children is still for the major part, department of women. So So, in the field that I know know best, best, and that is of course the university, I think we are seeing disadvantages.
1: Yeah, so basically that's indeed the pandemic had some kind of influence obviously on on gender inequality uh, i would basically follow up on that with my second question so um i mean as you said it has been proven that gender inequality has experienced a massive rise during uh, the corona pandemic i mean there are like a lot of sources also talking about it uh, and would you say in your opinion um that policymakers or politicians should have addressed this issue more extensively, or also from an earlier uh point in time on? Um or do you think they kind of addressed it efficient enough, or what's your stance on that?
2: I think all attention of policymakers and responsible politicians and statespeople have gone uh, and and narrowed also to the medical part of things. And we found ourselves in a discourse of medico-technical expertise. So that's the language our prime minister talked. The corona numbers have gone up, they've gone down, uh, ins and outs of vaccines and all that. So the political discourse narrowed down to medical, technical, expert discourse. And our civil rights were infringed upon quite effortlessly, quite tacitly, uh, quite smoothly. Uh, The critique of that sadly went to the the other extreme, to the uh, conspiracy thinkers, which I regretted a little bit because I felt, even without assuming any sort of conspiracy whatsoever, it would have been uh, appropriate to express worries, for instance, on the grounds of our historical knowledge, that people who lose their... uh, If you look at history and um, you study historical cases where civil rights were temporarily abrogated, People rarely got them back just like that, you know. So uh, in that sense, I felt that people did not have a sufficiently broad view to tackle various dimensions of the, of the pandemic, not just the medical dimension, but also the social effects, uh, civil rights issue, uh, how to guarantee giving it back and so on. It's understandable, because we are not all that, well, we are sort of taken by surprise by a pandemic, and eh? not by epidemics, we've had AIDS, uh, you name it, uh, but we are pretty helpless, I think, in the face of a pandemic, uh, so we were all caught unawares, but, but still... I regret the fact that there was this immediate narrowing down of pol- political discourse and that it remained that way up till now, really.
1: Yeah, indeed, in I mean, hasn't really changed, I think, in most countries, This this narrowing down of the political discourse. Um, yeah, and then also kind of linked to that would be, um, I mean, COVID-19 is might not have been the last health crisis we, we face um, and in your opinion how could this entire narrative of gender inequality uh, everything related to that be made more crisis proof uh, in the future or like for future crises? so would you say is like you said, is there a way to prevent it from occurring again that if we have another health crisis, for example, coming up or or maybe like a crisis in general um, that maybe next time it won't have such an effect on gender inequality as it does now?
2: I think we need to take two steps to address the problem you now raised. The first step we need to take is, I think, to recognize and understand uh, Corona as a prelude or part of a much larger problem sorry (laughs) i don't have much of a happy message here but i think this is of course just a uh, a sub-phenomenon of a much wider phenomenon that we need to uh, face up to and um, and develop policies on and that is of course our our ecological crisis Uh, it has everything to do with that it's not just some random of course every every uh, pandemic or epidemic has a random dimension to it but it's not just it didn't just drop out of the sky eh? there is an explanation for the seriousness of this pandemic has everything to do with our unsustainable lifestyle. So we are in for many more situations of crisis, eh? it need not be a pandemic, it can also be uh, increasing tensions and conflicts over clean water, clean air, clean soil. And eh? these are all things that are facing us. These are becoming increasingly rare goods that might well become the focus for increasing geopolitical instability and possibly armed conflict. So the first step we need to take now is to move away from this narrow medical technical uh, discourse and uh, place the thing in perspective and uh, and that perspective is uh, ecological difficulties challenges crises facing us and then the second step we need to take i think is to recognize and acknowledge and understand uh, the destruction of the environment i hesitate to use that word because it's such an anthropocentric notion uh, of the natural world however you want to call it we need to understand that in the as a uh, in the light of gender and diversity theories. To put it a bit more simply, we need to understand it as a feminist issue, as an issue that eco-feminism, as it's called, has been writing about since the, since the 60s. Uh, and it has produced classics like Rachel Carson, Silent Spring, the work of Val Plambut, uh, Plumbut, Greta Hart, you name it, uh, eco-feminists from all over the world, and they say it's, uh, it's part of a deeply rooted uh, project uh, of domination over nature. Right? And that project is uh, rooted in a series of binary oppositions, uh, hierarchical binary oppositions, in which uh, man, and it is indeed a masculine subject we are talking about, Uh, places itself over and against nature, as if humankind is not part of the natural world, is not embedded, doesn't have its own niche in the natural world. Men versus nature, culture versus nature, men versus women who are thought to be more natural, humans against non-humans, and so on and so forth. These oppositions have driven the project of the domination of nature and now that project is firing back at us. And I don't think we can put sound policies in place uh, beyond a narrow ad hoc uh, eco-modernist solution of this problem or that problem, you know, uh, which will always be uh, just dosing fires as the Dutch call it. that spring up uh, all over the place we we need to 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 put this framework into place as a generally shared framework for moving beyond uh yeah for for trying to create a future for our species nonetheless and i i do hope there is going to be a future
1: yeah yeah i totally Totally agree. Um, well, you just talked about the future, so I would basically elaborate on that. Um, basically in your opinion, how will the entire perception of gender inequality, is so how the public and how basically everyone perceives gender inequality, um, in your opinion, how will that change in the future once this crisis is hopefully soon over? Uh, do you think there will be a bigger focus on gender inequality or at least be more awareness among the public than has been in pre-pandemic times?
2: What I hope for and what I try to work towards is that we will not uh, think about, act upon, act against gender inequality as an isolated parameter. Uh, Gender discrimination doesn't operate in a vacuum. It always does its work in interaction with other variables, other social markers. Class, race, uh, ethnicity, age, very important also. Uh, So we shouldn't, again here, we shouldn't go for a narrow perspective and focus on gender inequality only. Uh, because it doesn't work like that. Gender inequality is embedded within this project of the domination of nature. That's what it ultimately uh, is rooted in, is is shaped by, continues to be shaped by. And um, uh, nowadays everyone knows Margaret Atwood's story The Handmaid's Tale through the Netflix series. I would advise anyone to read the novel because the novel is far more to the point, I think. And uh, what Adwood suggests is that we shouldn't think of women's emancipation as a linear process that eventually reaches its aim and then we're done, we're finished and established a good status quo and that will stay in place. eh? What Edmund shows is that crises can suddenly send the whole project in rear gear. And um, the crisis she talks about in The Handmaid's Tale is an infertility crisis. She, she projects a future dystopia in which the pollution of the natural world has gone so far that uh, humankind is becoming increasingly infertile. Uh, and those few women who still have a period, uh, they are enslaved, really. All their, their human rights are taken away from them. It's very frightening how she describes it because it, it happens very quickly. There's, a, in one chapter, transformation from the world as we know it, with emancipated women, you know having an egalitarian relation with their partners, going out to work, having friends. So just the world as we know it, in one chapter that morphs into a dictatorship and it doesn't take all that many steps and it's very uncanny, it's very plausible that you could actually do it like that. It begins with women's credit cards not functioning anymore. So they can't, they can't withdraw money as suddenly. All credit cards are blocked. That's what it starts with, and um, I think it's a very good reminder that uh, equalities we we aspire towards are always fragile and vulnerable, and that whenever a major thing happens, like COVID, or yeah, we haven't seen the end of it, then all all these. Emancipatory movements, racial equality, gender equality, class equality—very important. Uh, maybe very quickly dismantled.
1: Totally agree, and also very interesting. This reference to to the novel. Um, yeah, basically we just got to the last question already. Um, also, kind of links to to the previous ones. As well as a concluding question. So in your opinion also in regard to gender inequality would you say that this issue i mean obviously it's not just a covid related issue it's been it's been there before the current pandemic but in your opinion would you say that gender inequality is some kind of somewhat pervasive or recurring issue meaning that it will always be occurring during such crises Uh, would you say that maybe there's a certain way a chance to totally combat it that we never have to face this issue of gender inequality again
2: yeah well you can already infer somewhat from my answer to your previous question that i don't think you can conceive of any emancipatory project as a linear straightforward trajectory towards a future that will then be settled, and that's it. That's how Karl Marx also shared history, right? Uh, through a, a series of historical tensions and conflicts, the classless society will be established, and once humankind has reached it, we enter into a state of overall equity and equally shared comfort. Uh, In the morning, you go out fishing. In the afternoon, you go out hunting. In the evening, you read philosophy. That's how Marx pictured life in a classless society. And work is not necessary anymore, not production work, because machines will do that for us. And that's it. And then history sort of stops. Uh, That is a totally uh, fictitious model, Uh, so we can never say we have now reached our aim. And this has often been said to feminists, I also have heard that quite a few times. So when the second feminist wave got going, people would tell uh, second wave feminists, why bother? There is no feminist issue anymore. You have, you have the vote, yeah? passive, active, and that's it. And now go and fend for yourself and don't uh, whine. Uh, and that idea crops up again and again. Yeah, why bother? You've reached it all. You've got it all. Let's concern ourselves with more important issues. But these important issues more important issues are all entangled, huh? so I'm saying more important issues. Most of the time, people think of environmental crises, but that, but that crisis is deeply entangled and embedded in uh, foundational Western values and assumptions that also produce and reproduce gender inequality and. Indeed, the COVID crisis shows, but uh, Margaret Atwood also very convincingly exemplifies that whenever something unexpected happens, old power relationships may be very quickly reinstalled. So, emancipation is never finished. The struggle for social equity is part of being human. Huh? If if such a linear development would be possible at all, why haven't we reached utopia already in the 18th century? You know, we, we have a a a concept of equity, and and that we struggle. To, to achieve it.
1: I totally agree. Also, very interesting, um, interestingly phrased. From my side, we, we've we come to an end regarding the questions, but I think it's, it was really interesting.